things are opening up again. People are enjoying restaurants and shopping. Capacity limits at concerts and sporting venues are a thing of the past. Sunday mornings, kids are discovering how exciting that ramp behind the stage of the chancel here is. And most exciting for me, the food trucks, the food trucks are back on St. George. Even as we anticipate a winter rise in case numbers, it seems as though Christmas will be more like normal than it was last year. It may be naivete or hopeful optimism, but it seems as though for many of us, at least here in Canada, the worst of this pandemic and the restrictions which it necessitated may be behind us. A silver lining of this pandemic for many has been the opportunity to step back and to reevaluate some things which had simply been a given for them before. How many of us know people who have quit their job or radically changed careers in the midst of the pandemic? How many of us know families who've moved out of Toronto or people for whom a two-hour commute to work each way will no longer be considered acceptable? So many families homeschooled for the first time over the last year and a half, and some of them are continuing that experiment. It's not often that you get a year and a half break, a reset on so many things which otherwise would have just continued in their daily, weekly rhythms, unchecked for years to come. And for many of us, I know that our relationship with the church has been one of those things that got a sudden reset. Perhaps at first it was unwelcome, an abrupt change from habits that were maybe just forming in your life, or perhaps which had formed you over the course of many decades. And for some of us, the pandemic encouraged us to seek God in fresh ways, ways that we would never have considered in our lives before. And now, after all this time, I wonder how many of us have come to appreciate the comfort of our living room in new ways compared to the hardness of these pews? How many of us now appreciate the convenience to catch up on Sunday service, maybe on Wednesday, when other things have called for our attention? Or appreciate the extra time to join the Sunday grocery fray? So many people grocery shop on Sundays. Did you know that? I'm not sure I realized that before the pandemic. And many of others of us have appreciated our ability to remain anonymous, at a distance, even private, through our engagement with the church and in worship with God. And not all of these things are inherently bad, don't get me wrong. But all of them do signal that church is another place where there's some reevaluation happening, some renegotiation going on in our lives. And many of us may choose new ways of being with the church as life moves beyond those boundaries of COVID 19. And so it's for these reasons that we're going to spend the next few weeks before Advent together unpacking what the church is meant to be and why the church remains something that no matter what it looks like, we should remain committed to in some deep, meaningful, even profound ways. 
especially through a season when so many other commitments have been reevaluated and found wanting. I've got the Bible in my hand and Jesus in my heart. I don't need the church. This quote is at the front cover of the bulletin and in the email that got sent out this morning for this sermon series blurb. And it was something that was said to a former classmate of mine by one of his parishioners. And this individualistic expression of Christianity was surprising to him. I hope that it was surprising to many of us as well. Because God didn't make us solitary creatures. That's why the last year and a half has been so difficult for us. Nor did God call us to God's self alone by ourselves. Neither is Christ forming us to be his body as individuals. Rather, all of this has been done for us as a people, as a community, as the church. And it has been done for us as a community by a God who is themselves a community. A God, one God of three persons who is love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each lover of the others and each beloved by the others. And so we all who are his, we are also the community of the beloved. In today's scripture reading from John 17, we hear Jesus pray. And he covers a lot of ground in this prayer. And I'm not going to get to unpack it all with you. But in this extended prayer of Jesus to his Father, we sort of get this privileged glimpse into the inside of the Trinity, into the relationship between the Father and the Son. And even as Jesus prays that the Father will glorify him, he says that he desires this so that the Father might be glorified in him. This glorification happens, he says, as they give eternal life to all those who have been given to Jesus. For many, this is why they're interested in God. This is why they're interested in Jesus. It's a check against their fear of death, an insurance policy for the eternal with very reasonable rates. But Jesus' definition of eternal life isn't simply living forever. Rather, it is that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life, Jesus says, is knowing God and knowing him. And this is not just knowing intellectually. It's not just having the right answers, but it's knowing relationally and personally having a real relationship with God and with Jesus. Jesus, at the beginning of this prayer, says eternal life is community, is communion with God. It's being known by and knowing God, being known by and knowing Jesus. That's life as we were made for it. That's life to the full. That's heaven. But there's a problem. And it's a problem that Jesus is aware of because it inspires the next two sections of his prayer. 
If eternal life is knowing God and knowing Jesus, and Jesus is the one who reveals the Father, and experiencing community with the Godhead is possible because of that relationship with Jesus that his disciples have, but his hour has come, and he's leaving them. So what does that mean for them? Is eternal life then being taken away from them? as Jesus' presence and their ability to know him in the only way that they've ever known him leaves them. What does that mean for eternal life if it is this community with God? Jesus declares, I have made your name known to those who you gave me in the world. To make God's name known to people using Jesus' own definition is to have given them eternal life. He has given these people who were given to him eternal life, and so he asks on their behalf, protect them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus prays for his disciples and friends as he prepares to be taken from them, and he prays that eternal life itself would not leave them. Eternal life being relationship with God and with Jesus was revealed to them, and Jesus prays that God would be faithful to them, protect them, keep them in his name, bind them in relationship with God, and more than that, bind them in relationship with each other. Are you noticing what's happening here? There's a shift that Jesus is instigating in this prayer how the disciples will know God, how they will know Jesus, is shifting. No longer by the physical presence of Jesus in the world with them, ministering to them and walking beside them, but now in the presence of the disciples one to another. They, being kept in Jesus' name, will be Jesus' very presence one to another so they will know eternal life. They will know life to the full. In fact, Jesus says that he prays this so that his joy may be made complete in themselves. Jesus wants his joy to be made complete in you, in me, in us together as the church. And that's maybe surprising to a lot of people because when we say the word church, people don't think joy, right? Our world doesn't think joy, and there's a lot of good reasons that that's not the word association that most people have. But this is the prayer of Jesus, that his joy would be made complete in us as we are united to each other. And so whether you're joining us on the live stream right now or you're watching this on Wednesday morning, or if you are here in the sanctuary, Jesus desires that his joy would be made complete in this community that he's forming of us together. And it is this community which is the way of eternal life for those who are in Christ, that in knowing one another, we might know Jesus, and in knowing Jesus, we might know the one true God and Father of all. This is, in fact, why the third century bishop of Carthage, St. Cyprian, says, he cannot have God for his father 
who has not the church for his mother. The church is Jesus in the world. We are Jesus to each other. And seeing Jesus is how we know the Father. These things are connected to each other. The church is the way of eternal life in the world. It is the place of relationship with God and with Jesus. It is the community of the beloved. A year and a half ago, the way we knew Jesus in community, it suddenly shifted, sort of like what is happening in this prayer. Jesus anticipated the sudden shift in how his friends would have relationship with God, how they would know eternal and fulfilling life, and so he prays for them. As he leaves them, he knows they will need to be united to one another, and he prays that they would be. And then for nearly 2,000 years, through persecution and trial and famine and plague, the church has sought to be united to one another in particular ways, not neglecting to gather together, as the author to the Hebrews put it. Even in the Spanish flu a hundred years ago, churches in Ontario only closed for a few weeks. But this time, the confluence of virus and technology meant that we were able to do this for much longer and avoid far worse death counts. It was good and right that we should love our neighbors in such a way to refrain from gathering and find new ways for us to be the church together. That was good, that's important, and the church will be different because of it. But even so, I fear that as we did this, we quickly found ourselves further apart from one another, not only physically, but also emotionally and spiritually. The people who were once for us reminders of the eternal life of Christ has now, had now become far from our minds and far from our hearts. And so now, after so long, I've heard the conversations. Maybe you've had these conversations yourselves. Who is even part of the church anymore? Who calls this church their church home? Has this family moved? Who are the people who are joining us every week on the live stream but not reaching out past their computer screens? Is the community I once knew still available? Or is it gone forever? In many ways, of course, the church that we were two years ago is gone forever. That's true, but it was also true two years ago about the community that existed two years before that. Some people who call our church home have been here for 50 years or more, and in that time they've seen 50 different iterations of this community at least. Because the experience of church is always contextual, and the world changes. And it's always personal, and the people who call a community home change as well. But this should not worry us, or exhaust us, or cause us to question the goodness of the community nevertheless. Rather, it should encourage us, because God is continuing to do new things among us. Jesus is continuing to reveal himself in as many different ways as there are expressions of the church. God is unrelenting in God's desire that we would be one with one another 
even as we are one with the community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the trick of being one, the trick of being found in God together, the trick of making the church actually the church and not just people who show up and listen to somebody talk once in a while, is that we actually need to be present to each other. Jesus prays anticipating his own absence for the ones who will have to be present to each other, that they would know unity and that from their unity would flow all manner of good things. The answer Jesus trusts will come of his prayer in his absence from the world is that we would be present not only to the world, but just as importantly to one another. And it's been difficult to do that. For many of us, the stresses of home or of work or of no work, of illness or the threat of illness, all these things have prevented us from being meaningfully present to the church, known to others in community and allowing ourselves to be known by them as well loving people and finding that we ourselves are beloved by others who we meet. And we're in this very strange stage of the pandemic now, where some of us can gather, but not all of us can. Where some of us can feel comfortable being physically present in a small group or at a village gathering, but not all of us do. But if to be found in Christ is to be found in the community of people who bear his name, then we have to find ways to be present to each other somehow. Or else we're trying to find a Christianity that's just the Bible and Jesus and me. And it's not going to work. Or perhaps we're pining for that day when there will be the perfect utopian reunion of the church after the pandemic And I don't think it's going to happen. We can't hold out for that day because that day may well be when Jesus returns. And so until then, the community of the beloved is us. And the presence of Christ to me is you. And I pray the presence of Christ to you may be me as well. And together, we're muddling through. We're trying to be one with each other despite our many differences. We're seeking the completion of Christ's joys even through our sorrows. We're finding truth in the word that is present among us, and we're growing and abiding in love that the world itself might glimpse Christ's love and how we are one with each other. And that's true even when it's not as comfortable as our couch, or even when it's one more thing that we have to do in the week, and even when we're tired of Zoom, I'm there a lot, or even when we find phone conversations excruciatingly awkward. We need to be present to one another somehow. So how can we be present to each other such that God may make us one? If you're able to, I really would encourage you to consider regularly coming to church in person, 
It's true that you can join in the singing and you can listen to the sermon online. But as we've often said, there's far better music and far better sermons that you can find on the internet. So it's not really about that. It's about being present in the place together. Coming in person is about being present in a community that you can see and that you can know. Despite Facebook's metaverse aspirations, we're still embodied beings, not just heads on a stick or consciousnesses on a virtual, virtual plane. And physicality, it still matters. So if you can be physically present, come and see faces that aren't your family when you worship. And in them, see Christ. Have a conversation on the lawn after church, even if it's colder than your apartment is. And in that conversation, know that you are loved and find the very joy of God. But maybe you can't come in person. Maybe the tickets disappear before you can get them. Stay tuned about that. There's a worship survey to help us figure out next steps there. Maybe you're immunocompromised or caring for a loved one. Maybe you're shut in or you're far away. If you're watching this live, please use the live chat to offer peace to the community. A small, simple first step. Let people know that you're there with them. You're worshiping together. Share your prayer requests with us and commit to praying for those prayer requests which you see and hear as well. Be a part of a praying community together. And if you're watching this later in the week, you can leave a comment and let us know. You can still join us in praying for this community together. Because no matter how you're engaging with us on Sundays, we should all be making an effort to know and be known by others in the church. How else might we eventually be one, even as God is one? And this is especially true if you've just started to connect with our church during the pandemic. Please email your village elder or reach out to a pastor. Schedule a call and get to know them and share your story too. Maybe join your village for a social activity outdoors in your neighborhood. Or as we look ahead to serving our neighbors at Christmas, plan to set aside time to do that in community as well. Jesus prays for us. Jesus prays for we who believe through the word of those who first walked with him, that we would be completely one as well, full members of the beloved community of God. And that begins by loving one another. And we love the people who we know. In Christ's absence, he anticipates a ministry of presence among and for the people who had been given to him. And so we each ought to be present to one another and allow others to be present to us. We should each seek to follow Jesus through the mundane perils of this world, let alone the crashing waves of this pandemic. We need to be in community with one another. He would not have prayed so fervently for this if we did not need it. We need the presence of one another because it's in the community of Christ where the prayer of Jesus will be answered by his Father, where we are given to Christ, where we find eternal life, where we encounter the truth of his word, 
where his joy and his love are made manifest in us. May we each participate in the unity of the church by God's spirit, that in being present to one another, we would find love and joy in Christ, a foretaste of eternal life brought into the unity of God's self, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you pray with me? God of community, you created us in your image and you have existed as community from eternity to eternity and so we know bearing your image you made us for relationship. And so we echo that prayer of our Lord that we may be one even as you are one. And in this season of our church and this season of the world where so many of us are in different places with different needs and different ways that we can engage, we pray that you would give us all imagination for how your spirit might be drawing us together. That you would encourage those of us who have enjoyed our solitude for perhaps too long to reach out. And those of us who have felt pretty good to still consider the needs of others in our community. That not only might we need them, but they may need us as well. Do bind us together, Holy Spirit. Knit us together to be the very image of Jesus Christ in the world. That in seeing one another, we might enjoy eternal life, full and fulfilling life. And that in seeing us together, the world might know of your love. We pray all this, all this in Jesus' name and for his kingdom's sake. Amen. We want to leave some space for you to reflect about what God's Spirit might be saying to you, to our church, through these words. And so the first question for you to consider, maybe to talk about at home or to journal about later, is how are you experiencing fulfilling life in your relationship with the church? Not the institution, but with other Christians. And maybe you're not, so maybe that's something you need to pray about and reflect on and share with us too. The second thing is, how may God be calling you to be more present in relationships in the church? And finally, an invitation to pray that God would make the whole church one, even as God is one. We'll give you a couple of minutes to reflect on these things. <laughs> 